0: Welcome back to Staging a Podcast. My name's John Schick. I'm your host here. If this happens to be your first time, well, thanks for tuning in. Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Usually I'm talking to somebody who does something within the music industry about how they got there, um, what they do as a side gig, or if music itself is their side gig, you know, just being normal, regular old people. But today I'm gonna to talk about myself. So I figured after five episodes with some really great guests that I would talk to them and find out what they think uh what they think would be interesting to open up about. So from episode one, Tim Rogner he asked how did I get into music? So, I was born in 1983. Uh, I grew up in the back of the yards in Chicago. Uh, The back of the yards is a... uh, Now, it's mostly a Hispanic neighborhood. When I was first born, it was uh, mostly Polish and Lithuanian. But that changed significantly before I got into school. Uh, When I started going to school, um, my school was bilingual. So, you know, that, that shows you how... Quickly, things can change within five years. So uh, my parents, you know, they, uh, they like music. They don't necessarily love it. You know, it's not something that I think they couldn't live without. We, they didn't listen to much music around the house, but they listened to plenty in the car, and we were driving a lot. So my dad would listen primarily to the oldie station in Chicago, and... You know, at that time, they were playing things like Little Richard, Fats Domino, Bill Haley and the Comets, uh, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, you know, things like that. The classic 1950s, 1960s uh, oldies music, you know, things from Motown, Stax. So, you know, that's where I ended up getting into that. My mom, on the other hand, listened to mostly the Chicago Country Station, which, you know, during that time... Country was in kind of, a, kind of a flux. You know, they uh, were kind of doing out with the old-timers and bringing in the new generation. So I was still getting things like Conway Twitty and Charlie Pride. Um, but then there was, you know, also the new people coming in, you know, uh, Tanya Tucker, Martina McBride, Clint Black, Garth Brooks, Randy Travis, all those folk. So, uh, I ended up having, you know, that side of influence come from my mom. Now, next, where I lived, my, uh, my dad's side of the family had a five flat across the alley and eight houses down. So, my cousins lived there. Uh, my cousin Jamie, who's five years older than me and kind of like a big sister, she ended up, uh, getting me early into things like Paula Abdul and new kids on the block. You know, the, uh, late eighties, early nineties, poppy stuff. Uh, she was Debbie Gibson fan. And then, uh, as the early nineties moved in, you know, it was me and her that were listening to Nirvana and the smashing pumpkins. And then she started getting into Chicago house music. So she would, you know, trade me house tapes um electronic stuff and also she was getting into you know rap acts at the time so i was getting my dr dre my uh nwa easy e tone loke run dmc you know put put all that on there so you know that's a pretty big uh Pretty big change, but it also, you know, not only shows how I changed, but how she changed at the same time. Then uh, another one of my cousins that lived in that five flat is Chuck, and Chuck was a rocker. He liked his heavy stuff. So it's because of him that I started listening to bands like Metallica, Guns N' Roses, uh, Green Jello, Apocalyptica. You know, uh, I started listening to Apocalyptica on one of their first albums when they were still a four-piece uh, cello band playing Metallica songs. It was really awesome to me. And then uh, I had a cousin, Michelle, who was a uh, living cousin with us. And, you know, she had a big influence, too. She was, you know, into a lot of the uh, 80s hair rock. So, you know, through her, I was finding out about bands like Def Leppard and uh, Cinderella, Rat, Warrant. Dawkins. Poison we love Poison Um, you know the early 90s brought in bands like Nelson and we always had MTV on in the house when uh, when she was living there and that was really awesome you know so I'm quite rounded I think when it comes down to uh, my musical journey but um, for me You know, I think one of my first musical memories, and it's actually kind of a performance memory, is I was at my Aunt Barb's house sometime uh, mid-late 80s. I was probably about four years old, and Aunt Barb's a huge Elvis fan, and I just remember running around the house with my lip curled up and shaking my hips and singing Hound Dog for the family. So, uh, you know, nowadays I know that goes back to sister Rosetta Tharp. Gotta love that woman. If it wasn't for her, I don't think rock and roll would be what it, what it became. But yeah, that's my, uh, my first real memories of listening to music, performing music. Um, as for performing, uh, when I was 10 years old, I want to say I got a guitar for Christmas, uh, Acoustic guitar, classical style. My parents sent me to uh, to lessons with a friend of the family, and after a couple months, I really didn't take to it. Uh, so I learned maybe a couple songs, and I gave up for a few years. I started singing in the choir at school. Uh, by the second year of choir, I was the head of the choir, which, I mean, in in a school where each classroom has 26 people and you know you're only going at it from fourth grade to eighth grade yeah not not really that many people were in choir but hey guess what I let it um so then uh you know I had tried picking up you know guitar bass here or there but didn't really have any luck and then uh I moved out of Chicago and I moved here to Northwest Indiana. And it just happened that as soon as I moved here I met a guitar player and a bass player and I started singing with them uh did our first band and you know played one or two shows you know doing Foo Fighters our Lady Peace covers um but then uh the guitar player had an old guitar that he was trying to sell and he was going to sell it for a hundred bucks. So I just started skipping out on lunches at school and I'd give him my money until I paid it off. And then I ended up getting the guitar. I learned some power chords, started playing some Nirvana, Green Day, you know, all the, uh, stuff from that time, Offspring, et cetera. And, uh, that's how I got into playing. So, um, as for, uh, Another question that came from Tim, he asked me about the first bands that I saw in concert and what impression it left on me. Well, my very first concert was OzFest 97 at Tinley Park. It was the world back then. I still call it the world. Um, The show started out with Power Man 5000. Then there was Fear Factory and Machine Head, followed by Type O Negative. Uh, Type O Negative was really freaking great. Then after Type O played, there was a little band from Texas that you might know of or might not know of. Uh, They're called Pantera. When they came out, the mosh pits opened up. Like, it got crazy. I said, that's it. I'm going to go do my first mosh pit. As I started walking across the lawn, I started getting closer, and there's guys, big dudes, coming out with broken noses, bones sticking out of their arms, blood coming from whatever place can come from. I decided I was going to turn around and go back and uh, just watch the show. So, yeah, I did that. Didn't get my first pit for, uh, for another couple shows, I think. But then uh, after that came out Marilyn Manson, and I was really big into Manson at the time. Um, say, through my buddy Tom, he was even bigger Marilyn Manson and Manson the Spooky Kids fan. Um I think that's mostly the reason why we ended up going to that show. His, his mom bought us the tickets for uh, eighth grade graduation, which I don't know if everybody that's listening has eighth grade graduations around them, but uh, I know we don't here in Indiana, but in Chicago, apparently it's a thing, because You get a graduation at kindergarten, at eighth grade, and at the end of high school. So it doesn't matter when you drop out of school, you've had a a graduation by then. Um, So after Manson came out, and you know, Manson was doing the, uh, the Antichrist Superstar Tour at the time, so it was still very chaotic. You had people walking in between the lawn and the pavilion area, holding protest signs, everybody's spitting on them, you know, there's people getting into fights, it was, it was something else, you know, for a rock and roll show, Um, but the stage show itself was uh, incredible, probably one of the top five still that I've seen, and I've seen well over 500 bands by now. Um, The next band that came out was Ozzy, and Ozzy was doing a split set. He came out and, you know, did uh, Crazy Train, Mama, I'm Coming Home, you know, a handful of other songs, uh, Bark at the Moon with his own band. But then was my real highlight of the day because I was a big Black Sabbath fan at the time, and it was the year that Black Sabbath had gotten back together. So here I am, my very first concert, seeing – Tony Iommi, Bill Ward, Geezer Butler, and Ozzy up there doing their thing. It was really freaking awesome. But um, that pretty much winds out my first show, but then there was my second show, and I think this one had even more of an impact on me. Um, I went over to a friend's house, and he said... Hey man, I have tickets to the Metro to go see Kill Hannah. Do you want to go with? So, you know, of course, being 14, I had to ask my parents and got permission. So, we hopped on the we hopped on the the red line subway and you know, went up to Wrigleyville and hopped into the Metro and I saw Kill Hannah for the first time. And you know, they were still pretty much a baby band at the time. I want to say they started in like 95 or 96 and it just blew my mind what they were doing that and you know, there's something there's something way more intimate with the band itself, with being in a venue that holds a thousand eleven hundred people, you know, um, sure. Seeing the show and all the lights and everything at the first show at the Ozfest was, was nice. And, you know, you're with 20,000 people, but when the front of the stage to the, uh, to the back wall is only 25 feet. There's there's something different about a club show. And, you know, that made it like, you know, these guys aren't that much older than me. I can do this. So I wanted to, of course, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be a rock star. And, well, uh, that didn't happen. But we'll get a little bit further onto that later. Um, yeah, I think if it wasn't for that Kill Hannah show, I probably wouldn't be the person I am today because I have gone to so many more shows at the Metro. I've seen lots of great bands there. Um, One of my favorite shows at the Metro was actually back, I think uh, July, 2007 with Tim Rogner's band, Alistair. Um, They were breaking up at the time and, you know, didn't think they were coming back. So they did a very special hometown going away show And it was really cool to me because, you know, they ended up pulling out people from the different incarnations of the band. And they brought them up and played period correct band member set. It was, it was really, really cool. Um, I ended up getting a backstage pass after the show. And unfortunately, I didn't want to leave my buddy, so I never got to use it. But you know that's okay. Maybe someday I'll still get back to, backstage at the Metro. You know they should start doing they should start doing tours on off days because uh, you know I'd pay I'd pay fifteen bucks to go around the different uh, the different levels of the Metro and in back areas. I think it's cool, Joe Shanahan. If you're listening, there's an idea for you, man. Put some more money in your pocket. Uh, put some more money into the into the venue. Um, so. Next, I'm going to go and Steve Clark, Stephen Clark, and Doug Christ, Episodes 2, 3, and 5, they, uh, they pretty much asked me the same question, is what is my motivation for doing this podcast? Well, the thing is, is for one, obviously, I love music. Um, but I think one of the big things is uh I have a history of depression I've been diagnosed major depressive for uh twenty three years now um I'm doing okay you know uh more good days than bad, so that's that's great. You know this ain't about that, but the thing is is I let it get into my head, and you know sometimes I won't answer phone calls from people or people will invite me to things and I just can't see myself leaving the four walls of my house that day. So instead I end up sitting on my couch and, you know, ending up in a YouTube binge. So, you know, instead of falling down the YouTube rabbit hole, I wanted to try and find something that was a little more productive and something that, uh, would actually get me in touch with more people, which is nice. You know, I mean, um, If you've listened to the previous episodes, you know that Stephen Clark is my best friend. Um, We go way back. We are actually working on another podcast um, that we're trying to figure out when and how to release it. Um, So he's probably the person that I deal with the most. But then, you know, there's people like Derek C, who I've been friends with for years. and I haven't talked to him since he moved away other than maybe a couple messages here and there, you know, and you know, it's, it kind of sucks, you know, like if you, if you think about it in the negative way, but in the positive way, Hey, guess what? He got to experience a lot of stuff. I've experienced a lot of stuff and we got to get back in touch with each other and, and spend some time shoot the shoot the shit. I'm making uh, new friends out of this. I've already found uh, Tony of the Signal Chain podcast. Um, you know he's got his Marvels of the Cinematic Universe podcast. But then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. But then he's he's also got the Just Surprise Me podcast. And with the Just Surprise Me podcast, I became a Patreon and um, started talking to some other people. From there. So, uh, I'm, uh, now been talking with, uh, Tim from the Signal Path podcast and, uh, RJ and everybody else that's in there. Um, became friends now with, uh, Joe O'Rourke and Eric Pabone from both of Doug's podcasts. So, you know, it's definitely opened me up, you know, even if it's, uh, even if it's not face-to-face interaction, I've still got people that share similar interests that I'm able to just talk to, do something with, send messages to, meme, whatever. You know, um, I think if you're in a hole, find something to get you out of that hole, you know, and, you know, for some people, maybe it's uh, disc golf. For some people you know, you're going to go start running and talk to people out on the running path or whatever, um, karaoke trivia, you know, whatever it is, you know, if, if you're in a hole, go and find your people. There's billions what seven, 8 billion people on the world. Now your people are out there. There's good people for you. There's people that are going to make you realize that you are good for yourself and that's what you got to find. So, you know, that was kind of my intention with uh, doing this podcast, was being able to talk to different people, make new friendships. Um, you know, it's kind of a wonderful thing. Now, the reason that I decided to go the podcast route is uh, for years, I've been listening to, um, to AM radio. People thought it was weird riding in the car with me in, you know, the early mid 2000s and I've got on talk radio and they're like well what, what are you doing your car's going to kill itself it's so bored and I'm like dude no like these people are you know my outlet to the world but they don't know that I'm here now that's the nice thing with podcasts is everybody that I've met through podcasts who have podcasts are very open people very cool to talk with you know um I think if it wasn't for uh the friendship that I've started making with Blake Wyland from the uh the Tone Mob podcast and the Chasing Tone podcast with Brian Wampler that I might not have moved in this direction but you know he's uh, he's definitely an influence he uh started out you know working on heavy machinery decided to start doing a podcast and now that's what he does for a living. You know, on, on top of other musical ventures, but uh, I hope to be talking to him soon. So I won't go too much into him. Um, but you know, he, like I said, he was definitely an influence to get me in here and do my thing. Um, so next Derek asked me to talk about my interests. well, my interests, hmm. I like long walks on the beach. Um. That that's actually that's not a that's not a joke. I I don't mind going to the beach on days when it's not hot and not sunny. I'm 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 a redhead and I've got redhead skin, so me and the sun don't get along. But uh, I'm at the southern tip of Lake Michigan. Michigan, I could be to the lake here in like five minutes. So um it's really nice to be able to go walk the sand dunes, walk the beach. Um, I think it's funny because, you know, most people say it as a joke, but I'm in the perfect spot for it to uh, to actually come to fruition. But um, as for other hobbies, um, of course, I play guitar, I play bass. i am um, got a keyboard. I'm getting ready to uh, talk to somebody about doing some lessons on that. Um, I'm trying to teach myself lap steel guitar off of the internet. Um, not as easy as it looks, you know, people, uh, Robert Randolph, he makes it look way too easy for what it is. Um, so yeah, a lot, lots of, lots of music instrument playing. Um, but then there's also a lot of listening. I'm looking around The studio right now and there's got to be at least 500 records i am quite a collector um it's kind of funny because you know there's a lot of stuff that yes sure i go out and buy myself but when any of my friends has a collection that they're getting ready to get rid of and you know a lot of the times it's the same stuff you know reo speed wagon um and somehow I've got like three copies of Back in Black I don't know why Like I need to start going through and figuring out What's the best copy and downsizing the rest But um, yeah, definitely an avid vinyl collector I listen to all types of different music Because of the way that I grew up um, The only thing I think I don't listen to very often Is bro country um, I prefer other country You know, uh, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real are great. Jason Isbell and the 400 unit, Daniel Donato, uh, Amanda Shires, The High Women, um, Yola. Like, there's good acts out there that aren't the ones that you're hearing on the radio all the time. And I'm sorry. Like, to me, the, the pop country is just pop music now. Like just because you have a southern accent doesn't mean that it's necessarily country. No, you've got a southern accent, and they're marketing you as country. No, you're a pop band. You belong on a pop station. Bring country back to country radio. Um, but you know, I also, uh, I also have you know a lot of other stuff that I that I love. Like, it, it's kind of funny. I'm well. I'm a punk rock deadhead guess. Yeah, that's probably the best way to say it. Like if somebody asked me who my favorite band is, I'm going to tell them Grateful Dead. Um, They're amazing to me. They went through so many different changes through the course of their 30 year span. Um, You know, at one moment they could be a country band. The next moment they could be a psychedelic band. The next moment they're a rock and roll band. The next moment, they're jazz improv. Like, I love it. They're all over the place. It's wild. But then, you know, I love my punk rock too and my proto punk. You know, give me the dolls, the New York dolls, give me the Stooges. Um, you know, move up and give me uh, the Damned or the Ramones or X. Then, uh, you know, the 90s just got crazy, especially, you know, after. Punk really, pop punk really broke with Green Day. You know, you started getting all these bands like Zebrahead and Less Than Jake. Lag Wagon, Chicks Dig It. You know, there's just, there's so much music out there to listen to. It's amazing. And heck, I love it now. You know, back, back in the day, you know, when I bought my first Buddy Holly tape, I had to have my Walkman with me and listen to it and flip the side and i can only keep one or two tapes with me you know and then move into cds and that was even harder because now it's more bulky and then 2003 hit and here's your ipod now you've got thousands of songs in your pocket now you don't even have to worry about it you just go to whatever streaming service you use and you've got pretty much every song that you could ever think of just at your fingertips it's that part's amazing. Um, let's see what's some other music I love. Uh, my second favorite band, and they've been going strong since ninety five is Silver Chair, uh, Australian rock band. I love them they're uh, Their first album was kind of grunge post grunge you know, I guess you know they would fall into the first era of post grunge since. They were uh, right after Kurt passed away. But then, uh, you know, they moved on with their second album and got, for one, a little bit more heavy hardcore. You know, they were listening to a lot more, like, Helmet and Rollins Band and things like that. But then they were also getting more experimental. Their third album is, like, I want to say kind of Zeppelin-y. You know, um, then... uh they did their, their masterpiece diorama after that, which is a piece of music that if you haven't checked it out, Silverchair's Diorama is just wild with the orc they've got orchestra on so many of the songs. They had to throw on a couple of the uh heavy riff rockers just to, you know, be able to appease the uh the old crowd. But there's some really magical tunes on that. And then by their fifth and last album, they ended up going in more of a uh, pub rock, glam, glam rock route. You know, I put it more along the lines of uh, Midnight Oil or uh, David Bowie, T-Rex. Like really dig that band. Um, and the stuff that their band members have done since then is all really good to me. Um, I know... Their singer Daniel has a new album coming out, uh, just over or just about a month from now. Um, he hasn't released any music from it yet, so I'm really looking forward to hearing that. But his last album, he did like an electronic R and B album that was, to me, awesome. Um, sorry, I just looked at the uh the question list and one of the last ones that Derek asked was how i got in, got into playing guitar, which i already talked about um so you know uh i am a i am a first responder so you know i work a uh i work an awkward schedule um i keep on trying to get these episodes up every sunday i know i've got some uh some interesting guests coming up, um, you know, especially speaking about going back to, you know, the first generation of punk rock. I've, I've got one really cool one that's going to be coming up next month. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to say to everybody, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, you can find the staging a podcast page on Facebook, there's a Staging a Podcast Instagram. You can email me at stagingapodcast at gmail.com. Um, actually, you know what? Before I, uh, before I end up going, Staging a Podcast, different name. Um, that actually goes back to Daniel Johns from Silver Chair and a side project he did back in the early 2000s called I Can't Believe It's Not Rock. um. On that album, he had a song called Staging a Traffic Jam. Uh, It's one of my favorite tunes from him. So I was thinking of, what in the world can I name this thing? You know, it's kind of like coming up with a band name, and it's very easy to come up with a bad band name. I don't know if this is a good or bad podcast name, but guess what? It sticks in my head. So Staging a Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, staging a podcast at gmail.com feel free to email me I'm always down to I'm always down to uh, shoot the shit you know make some new buds so thanks for listening please come again